Amen. I was talking to one of our uh, ladies a couple of weeks ago, and um, she was moving. And <laughs> one, of the, one of the bad things about living on Long Island is people leave, right? And uh, she was moving to Florida, which waking up this morning and walking outside, I thought Florida sounded very attractive, actually. But um, she was moving to Florida, and she said to me, I want you to do me a favor. Can you find me a church like Genesis? And I said, there isn't one. <laughs> now, I wasn't being arrogant there, and I wasn't kind of downplaying us either. I was telling the truth. You won't find a church like ours. I talked to a couple just yesterday who, who moved a year or two ago now, and they're now living in West Virginia. And uh, so I said, so have you got settled in West Virginia? And they said, once we found a church, we felt we were really settled. But it's not like Genesis. Now, I was glad to hear that because one of my goals when we started this church uh, over 23 years ago was... Um, we didn't want to be a church like every other church because a lot of people had decided they didn't want to go to every other church. And our goal was to reach the unchurched people. And you won't reach unchurched people by doing church the same way as churches they don't want to go to do church. Are you with me or are you lost already? God intended every church, every congregation to be unique. Look at the person on your left right now. Do they look like you? No. No, no, I mean, you know, I know the world would be a better place if you all looked like me, but, the, here's, but, but here's the reality. God made us to be unique. God made us all different by design. Every one of us filling a unique void in His plan that only we could fill as individuals. God doesn't intend us to be like anybody else. God doesn't intend this church to be like any other church or any other church to be like us. But there is one thing that God does want for every single one of us. God wants us to be like Jesus. And that's what we've been looking at over the last couple of Sundays, and we're going to be continuing that theme today. And... Uh, the key verse for this series is in Romans 8, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, where it says this, God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God knew ahead of time that those of us who belong to Him, God knew that we would be His. And He chose us with this specific thing in mind. He chose us to become like His Son. That's God's plan for us. And we've looked at a couple of aspects of that the last couple of weeks. We started the series talking about partying like Jesus. Amen. Hang out with the riffraff. That was the bottom line, right? The second, the second week, last week, we talked about focus like Jesus. Jesus was not interested in material things. The one thing that was his passion was to do the will of the Father. And what I'm going to talk about this morning might sound like a tall order, but, 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 but don't shut down as soon as I say it. Today I want to talk about pray like Jesus. 
Now, you might hear that and you automatically give up. It's like, yeah, well, that ain't going to happen. Like, I'm not that good. Stick with me. Let's take a look at this together. Pray like Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to look through, look at four examples in the life of Jesus where he prayed and see what we can pick up from each one of those, okay? And the first thing I see is this. If you want to pray like Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray to start the day. Pray to start the day. There, there, was, there was a time in, uh, when Jesus was really beginning his ministry when, when he, had, he had an incredibly fruitful and busy day. He was in the, the village of Capernaum, and in the morning he had gone into the synagogue, he had taught in the synagogue, he had helped a man who was tormented by demonic forces. And then when they came out of the synagogue, they went over to one of his disciples' uh, family's home, Peter, and Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus healed her. And they ate together there, and then the Bible tells us when sunset came, uh, I guess word about Jesus had been spreading, and there were a crowd of people who were sick and had all kinds of problems who descended upon the house, and they were all there, and the Bible says that Jesus healed them all. It was a crazy busy day. Now, I can understand from the disciples' point of view, it would have probably been the most exciting day of their lives. So they couldn't wait the next morning for things to get rolling again. And, but here's what Jesus did. Mark 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went out to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. So they, they get moving in disciples and they realize there's a whole other crowd of people now looking for Jesus and wanting to help them. And, and somehow, you know, Jesus has just disappeared. He's not there. So they go look for him because very early in the morning, he had got up and he went to a place where he could pray. I like mornings. Not every morning. But in general, I like mornings. If, if we go on vacation to, to, to some beach resort, I like to get up relatively early in the morning and just go sit on the beach by myself. I love it. Absolutely love it. I love watching the sun come up. There's something about it. I, I, I read something by, by a guy. I didn't know his name, so I didn't write it down because chances are you don't know him. So, so if, if you're watching this, uh, let me know, and uh, I'll give you credit for this quote. There's a raw stillness in the, to the world in the early morning that feels different to the eerie, lonesome late nights. There's something about morning. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul gives us a, what seems on the surface to be a pretty tall order. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. 
So prayer should be a regular thing, a consistent thing, a repeated thing. And Jesus really said something along the same lines in Luke 18. It says there that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. Prayer is appropriate at any time, but there's something special about morning prayer. Jesus needed to get tuned back in with his Father after the craziness and the wonderful day they had had before. He needed to talk to the Father because as soon as he really started moving again, the disciples are saying, everybody's looking for you. Listen, I don't know about you, but as soon as the day starts for most of us, it's over. All right, there are very few people with the luxury of waking up in the morning and thinking, well, what am I going to do today? <laughs> now, if that's you, God bless you. That's wonderful. But there are very few people. Most people, you know, seem to wake up in the morning and they start thinking, Lord, I'm never going to fit all that in. Can you identify with that, some of you? I've got a heck of a lot to do to get through today. Because as soon as you really start fully moving, it all hits you. It's like everybody's looking for you, Jesus. It's like, okay, here we go. So what does Jesus do? He takes a step back before all that begins to happen. And he talks to the Father. Now, there are plenty of people who will tell you how and when you ought to pray. And is the easiest thing in the world for a preacher to make people feel bad about their praying. Right? Easiest thing in the world. I really want to just, okay, now some of you are going to really get upset with me right now because you, you're going to say, well, he's, he's taking a very easy road here. Yes, I am. Here's the thing. I remember years ago, we're, we're talking back in the 80s. In the, in the 80s, there, there was a guy, um, oh man, anyway, whatever he was called, Larry somebody or other, and, and he wrote a book called the, the Hour That Changes the World. And the big thing there in the mid-80s was, was, you know, here's, the pra here's a prayer plan for an hour. And he cut it down into segments and, 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 and really encouraged people. You know what, if the whole, you know, if the whole church would, would do this and commit to an hour to pray first thing in the morning, then we would change the whole world. Okay, well, the world has changed since the 80s, but some of us would think not for the better. I'm not talking about taking an hour and breaking it up to pray. Let's get down to reality. Because a lot of folks get caught up in the craziness. Hey, if you've got kids, like how much time do you have free first thing in the morning? Um, I'm going to guess zero or less than that. Right? So what can we do? Where, what could be a starting point? Jesus prayed to start the day. What could be a starting point? I want to tell you this. I'm not going to advocate you spend an hour in prayer. I'm not going to advocate you spend a half hour in prayer. And if anybody's watching this, and I do have some critics out there, yes, from your perspective, I'm preaching Christianity light. But from my perspective, I'm preaching Christianity reality. 
Take a little bit of time. Minutes. A minute. Sometime before everybody's looking for you. And just connect with the Father. And see if that makes a difference. Don't lament what you are not doing. Look at what you could do. Look at where you could start. I remember when I started pastoring. You, you, you know, it's, um, it's an intimidating thing. I was only 20 years old. And prayer was one of the things they talked about a lot in Bible school. I remember reading a book by, by a, uh, a Welsh pastor from some years before called, it was, the book was called Rhys Howell's Intercessor. And, and prayer was his like number one huge thing. It was an uh, amazing book with some amazing stories. And my thing is, okay, this is what I need to be able to do. And as a young pastor, I, I kind of make attempts to doing some of the things that he was doing. And you know what? Um, most of those attempts didn't last. There were plenty of prayer police who would tell us, you know, young pastors, who, what we ought to do and how we ought to do it. I, I, and I've shared before, there was, a, there was an older, very much respected pastor near me um, at one point, and he used to call early in the morning and ask me if I was up and praying and tell me I'll never make it in the ministry if I'm not up praying every day before dawn for two hours. What he never told me, but I found out, was he napped every afternoon for two hours. <laughs> so here's the thing. Yeah, so often, you know, so often the people who tell us what we ought to do are, are a little pharisaical in their approach. Jesus said of the Pharisees, you tell everybody else what to do, but you don't do it yourself. What I want to encourage you in is the simplicity of this. Here, here, here's what it says in, in, in Psalm 5. Psalm 5, verse 3. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. I want to encourage you to make a point of letting God hear your voice in the morning and looking up. Your voice directed to God, and then answers expected through the day. And I'm not talking about take the first two minutes of the day to give God your laundry list of what you need. I'm saying take a few moments at the start of every day. And, and if you want to get that into a habit, you may need to do something to prompt yourself to remember to do that. And with all the electronics and digital stuff we've got, that's quite easy to do nowadays. But, but, but to take a moment at the start of the day to lift your voice to God to thank God for who He is. Lord, thank You that I start today as Your child, in Your care and keeping, wanting to do Your will. Right? And then pick the baby up. Then make breakfast for the complaining masses or whatever else you do. I mean, 
I want to start at real simplicity. Start the day with a simple prayer. God, let me live in your love today and freely demonstrate it to everyone I meet. Amen. Father, I pray that my life will reflect your light today, that I'll have a positive impact on at least one person. This is kind of my favorite morning prayer. God, God, let me have a positive impact on at least one person who needs to know they are valued by you. Amen. If we're going to pray like Jesus, we need to pray to start the day. And I'm just encouraging you all today, start somewhere, start simple, set the bar really low, and go for it. Pray to start the day. Second thing I want to say is this. Pray when you need a miracle. Pray when you need a miracle. There, there's, um, there's a story in John 11 that most of you will be familiar with. It's the story of how Lazarus, who was a friend of Jesus, Lazarus died. And uh, several days after he had died, Jesus went to where he was. And Jesus raised him from the dead. And the Bible talks about Jesus arriving there, and when he arrived there, he told them, told them to move the stone away from the tomb. And then it says this, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, here's how I read this particular, this, this particular passage, right? So Jesus is there, and he says in a loud voice, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And then almost under his breath, he says, I know that you always hear me, but I said that for this lot. <laughs> right? I knew that you always hear me, I said, but I said that for the benefit of the people standing here so that they might believe that you sent me. He said, you know, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. And as Jesus prayed there, he wanted everybody around to hear him praying because he wanted to know that him and the Father were working at this together. Jesus prayed when he needed a miracle. Now, here's the thing. I believe in a God of miracles. That's great. Three of you do too. I knew I needed to preach on this today. All right, so Jesus, I do. I totally believe in a God of miracles. I have seen God perform miracles in so many different ways at so many different times. And, 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 and the fact is this. Over and over again, God goes above and beyond and surprises us. Is that right? I, I'm, I'm quite convinced that sometimes what doctors call a misdiagnosis is actually a miracle. They'll come back to you and say, I guess there was some mistake. It looks different. There's nothing there. And it's like, you know what? And it depends on the mood you're in. You either say, excuse me, that's no mistake. That's God. Or, or you think... God bless his heart. Yeah, okay, thank you. Right? God does those things. Many of you here this morning will testify to the fact you've seen miracles of divine provision. You've been in need, and you've asked God for help. And you know what? In the most miraculous way. I love the fact that, you know, God's never tied down to the limits of our imagination, so He often meets our needs in ways that are totally unexpected. But He meets our needs. 
I'm standing here today and I'll tell you, there have been times in life when we've been through rough situations. There have been times in life, in life when we've been short. There have been times in life when we didn't know what, that we'd be able to pay a bill. But I'm going to stand here today and tell you this. I'm here and God has always met our needs. And let me quote to you the words of Philippians, and my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Our God is a God of miracles. Many of you know the story of Abraham, promised a son, it never happened. He's virtually, he's, he's 100 years old now, and uh, that just hasn't happened. And here's what it says in Romans 4 and verse 18. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. Pray when you need a miracle. Keep praying when you need a miracle. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but of what God said he would do. Two ways to approach a problem. What I can't do or what God can do. And God can do all things. So he was made the father of a multitude of peoples. Hundred years old, they had a baby. Dear Lord, isn't that a scary thought? <laughs> because God himself had said to him, you're going to have a big family. Listen, when you're up against it, let your heart go to prayer and not to despair. Let your focus be not what you can't do and what looks impossible, but at what God has promised and what God can do. The English poet from way back when, G.K. Chesterton, once wrote this, the most incredible thing about miracles is that they happen. <laughs> is that great? The most incredible thing about miracles is that they happen. But I will tell you this, miracles don't happen until you need them. So that gets a bit scary, right? That's where it gets a bit scary because by definition, a miracle is something that was impossible, that couldn't happen. And, and miracles don't happen until we need a miracle. When you are in an impossible situation, don't despair because you are a candidate right there for a miracle. So pray when you need a miracle. So often folks say, well, all that's left to us is we can pray. What else do you need? What else do you need? Prayer isn't our desperate last resort. Prayer is the wide open channel to a God who cares about us, who loves us, and can do more than we could ever ask or more than we could ever imagine. Pray to start the day. Pray when you need a miracle. And here's another one. Now, this is where occasionally when I'm preaching Sundays, I date myself, but that's, that's easily done. But some, some of you remember. Some of you remember Natalie Cole singing, Smile When Your Heart Is Aching? Smile. You, right? You, it's going through your heads now, right? Yeah. Don't sing it, please. All right? S smile when your heart is aching. Smile though it's almost breaking. I, I want to I give you something a little bit different to that. Pray when your heart is breaking. Pray when your heart is breaking. That, that last night before 
Jesus was crucified. He was in the upper room and, and instituted um, communion, the Lord's Supper there with his disciples. And then he said, let's go out to the Mount of Olives. And he went with his disciples to the Mount of Olives. And then he took three of them with him a little bit further. And he prayed. And that night, knowing what was coming, Jesus was not in a good way. Mark 14, verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Stay here and keep vigil with me. A sinkhole of dreadful agony. As Jesus was preparing for Calvary, I want you just to note this, there were two things he craved. Number one was human companionship. He took Peter, James, and John with him. Number two, connection to his Father. Tragedy often makes us turn in on ourselves, but hard as it can be, we need to stay connected to those who can support us through our trials. It's right back at the beginning of things that God looked at Adam alone in the garden and says, not good for him to be alone. It's not good for any of us to be alone. Inside our own heads is the most dangerous place on earth. It's not good for us to be alone. Jesus needed people around him who were special to him. Not necessarily to say anything or to do anything, but just to be there. And he prayed, verse 36, Papa, Father, you can, can't you, get me out of this. Take this cup away from me, but please, not what I want. What do you want? Jesus prayed, Papa, Father. The Bible's full of descriptions of God, but here's perhaps the most precious one. Father. Father. What a great thing to be able to lift your eyes heavenward and say, Our Father. Our Father. You know, the one who sits on the throne of heaven, angels flying around doing whatever he wants, the God who controls the universe. You know that God? He's my Father. He's my Father. The Father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. We don't understand the whole picture most of the time, but we've got to believe this. The Father's hand will never cause His child a needless tear. I want to encourage you today. Pray to start the day. Simple, sure, but connect. Pray when you need a miracle. Don't despair. Go to prayer. Pray when your heart is breaking. And then... This is kind of an interesting topic, perhaps, or a sensitive topic, too.
pray when the end approaches. Pray when the end approaches. We don't often talk about dying because it's not comfortable, but the fact is if Jesus doesn't come back first, every one of us will die, right? We will. In some way and at some time, every one of us will die. The last nine months seem to have been a particularly um, difficult time for many, many folks, many of our folks. I, I think I've conducted more funerals in the last nine months than I normally would in three or four years. Did one last night, doing another one tonight, one last Saturday night. But over the period of those nine months, there are two statements, and you all hear me use these phrases, but they become even more real to me. And, and the first one is this, death doesn't win. Death doesn't win. And over and over again, as I've spoken that truth and shared it with families, it's become far more meaningful to me as well. Death doesn't win. Now, of course, like any significant phrase, I've got a T-shirt with that on. And, and uh, we were on vacation a few months ago, actually. I was on the beach one day, and I'm walking past this really big guy. And he's looking at me, and I think, what's he thinking? And he looked at me, and he said, I love that shirt. I said, never forget it. Death doesn't win. Death doesn't win. However I leave this earth and whenever I leave this earth, don't tell, me that I, don't tell me that death got me in the end. Death didn't get me in the end. Jesus took me in the end. Right? Death doesn't win. And the other phrase that I think is significant is the phrase, heaven is for real. Folks, heaven is what's real. Right? I mean, sometimes I look at what's happening around our world right now and think I'm living in a bad dream and hope I'll wake up and it'll be 1966 again, you know? <laughs> this isn't the reality. We live it. And I thank God for the life I've got. But the reality is heaven is what's real. Heaven is for real. And at some point, every single one of us will make the transition from this life into the presence of God. Everyone who knows the Lord has a place prepared for them in heaven. I want you to notice how Jesus died on the cross. Luke 23 and verse 46, Jesus called loudly, Father, I place my life in your hands, and then he breathed his last. I want to tell you, when the moment comes, there is no need to be anxious. There is no need to be afraid. You, you know, Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own free will. I've got the right to lay it down. I also have the right to take it up again. I receive that authority personally from the Father. Listen, they couldn't kill Jesus. He gave his life, right? 
Now, remember, John 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. If he could raise Lazarus from the dead after being dead for four days, then the reality is this. Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. Jesus could have just said the word, and thousands of angels would have come and just destroyed all the people who were there and, 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 and who were torturing him. Jesus didn't need to. And, and, and the fact is, he laid his life down. Father, into your hands I commit my life into your hands. That's kind of the final ultimate step of faith. The ultimate step of faith is at the end being able to say, Father, I commit my life into your hands. And we can. And it's good. Adoniram Judson, who was an outstanding missionary, said this when he came to the end of his life. He said, I go with the gladness of a boy dancing away from school. I feel so strong in Christ. The great... Uh, Freedom fighter William Wilberforce said this. He said, my affections are so much in heaven that I can leave you all without a regret. I do not love you less, but God more. And D.L. Moody, the evangelist, said this as he was dying. It, it, here's what's recorded. He said, earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. And then they say, Moody's son said, no, Father, you, you, you must be dreaming. And Moody said, I'm not dreaming. I've been within the gates. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. We will all leave this life one day and in some way. But at that moment, we need to be at peace. At that moment, we need to take our faith to the final step and the final exercise of our faith. Why the final? Because what's next is heaven, and we will see the reality and enjoy the reality, and we won't be living by faith. We will be living by sight. We will be living, enjoying what we are experiencing around us and God with us. The final step of faith is when we commit ourselves to God and let him take us home. I place my life in your hands. Pray like Jesus. Pray when the end is near. Pray when your heart is breaking. Pray when you need a miracle. And pray to start the day. I'm not talking about the length of your praying I'm not talking about the quality of your praying. I'm just saying, let's pray. 
And there are some great examples from the life of Jesus about times when prayer is precious and prayer is important. Would you stand with me just now? And I want to just take a moment to pray for you as the band comes back up.